Well, we are in this uh, series called Just to Ask, and uh, we're taking uh, a lot of weeks here uh, to just talk about prayer. And uh, starting in January, we're going to have uh, a new prayer initiative uh, for the church, and uh, we're putting some of that together right now. And, um, and we want to start as, as, it's always been a piece of our church, uh, for sure. Um, I don't want you to think that we haven't prayed before. Um, it's always been a piece, uh, but I you know, I've had this deep conviction uh, for a while now that um, we, we've got to be stronger uh, and have it more of a core element to who we are as individuals. And, uh, and then as that starts kind of um, culminating together, that, that who we are as a church becomes people of prayer. And that we see all throughout the Bible that prayer has been a consistent theme, a consistent thing that's connected to um, a life with Jesus and to, to see God move in incredibly powerful uh, ways. And so um, prayer is a discipline. Prayer will be a sacrifice. Prayer uh, it has to be consistent. Prayer um, is, um, it exposes the reality of who we are. Prayer uh, is uh, a time of vulnerability. Prayer is, is uh, it builds a connection. Um, but it, prayer can be difficult. How many of you guys have like problems with prayer, struggle with prayer a little bit? It's okay. You're in a safe place, right? Like, yeah. Um, it's, as I shared when we first started, it's, it's been, um, it's, it, I have like times where I'm like really good with it and then times where it's like been a little bit of a struggle and, and I'm building into a stronger discipline for uh, my own life. But uh, the, the thing I find most fascinating about prayer is uh, what it exposes in us and who we are. Um, it also exposes what we think of other people. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but um, it really does. It, uh, prayer with, with God, it's like, man, we're, we're very vulnerable and we can expose who we really are, but it also shows what we think of other people. Um, and so um, that's what I want to concentrate on today is this idea of uh, praying for the lost. And um, I've been uh, consumed with this question for a little while, which is simply this. If God answered every one of my prayers, would anyone's life change besides mine? And uh, we talked a little bit about this last week, but it's been a question that um, has been resonating in my head and in my heart um, because I started thinking about it. I was like, man, there is a level to where uh, when we enter into prayer, can we pray for situations in our own life? Of course. Um, can we petition gods for things in our own life? Of course. But man, I do really wonder um, how often we are like with uh, energy and, and expectancy of really praying for our friends or praying for um, those that we work with or praying for those that we know are hurting or, or praying for those that we know we disagree with. Would their lives uh, change if God said yes? Can you imagine, um, like if God was just, he just said, you know what, I'm just gonna say yes to everything you prayed for this week. Can you imagine that? He's just like, you know what? Here's just a yes. What would have happened? Like just this, this past week, would, would Richmond, would people have like stepped down and been like, what just happened to Richmond, right? Or would you just be walking around being like, ha, ha, look at me, look at me, right? Like, and so there's a big difference uh, with our prayers. And last week we talked about um, justice and prayer and, and what it means to, to, to have this heart 
of like, hey, when we really are thinking about the people around us, there's a reality of the systems that are at play and that um, how, how the devil schemes and how the kind of the spiritual realms that we talked about, like it works through systems. But, in the, but there's, there's a piece of this that I think it's important. There's systems and then there's people in the systems, right? When you look at biblical justice, uh, it's never about the issue. It's always about the people, and so when you think about um, how we should be praying, then we got to understand, it's like, man, when we're, when we're praying or when we're thinking or when we're talking about a, a certain issue that's at hand, um, we don't think about the issue in terms of, of, hey, let's talk about poverty. It's like, poverty is the issue. It's like, yeah, but our hearts are about the people in poverty. And then our hearts are, and our prayers are about the, the people in poverty. We begin to look at the people. And then why is that? Because if you just look at something as an issue or that is something that's just like a whole big thing, it's easier to get disconnected from it. But when you look at the people that are in it and in the conversation, it's like, oh, all of a sudden your heart opens up to the reality of what's going on. So whether it's about racism or poverty or whatever it is or whatever the cultural conversation is, it's like, don't just view it as this big monster that's out there that we need to talk about. It's like, no, no, when we pray and when we think about it, we're thinking about the individuals that are involved in it. And it shifts our hearts. And so then our prayers begin to resonate and we have a deeper connection to what's going on uh, around us. And so then what ends up happening, and this is what we see in scripture, when Jesus enters in um, and if there's an issue, or even if you go to the Old Testament, when God is like directing his people, when there's an issue um, that they're talking about, he's like, yeah, but we understand that the issue that's there, but it's about the people and you have to have a heart for the people for the people that are being hurt, for the people that have been oppressed, for the people that have suffered injustice. You have to have a heart for the people. If you have a heart for the people and you have a heart for an issue, but not the people, then you're never gonna reveal the kingdom of God. You might come up with a good idea, but you'll never have the heart to kind of continue on for the right things. And so then our prayers are directly impacted. But man, when we have a heart for people, everything changes. Because when you have a heart for a person and a person comes up to you and says this, man, my experience here has been one where I've faced racism. You don't be like, mm, I don't know. You respond with, hold on a second. Like, I love you as a person and I want to listen and I want to hear what you're saying. When someone who has been like victim to maybe a systematic issue around poverty or whatever that we have or education, whatever we have, and they begin to tell you, it's like, mm, I don't know, you could have worked harder it's like, no, 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 hold on a second. Like, I see you as a person and I want to listen. And my heart, my prayer goes to you as a person because I love people. My heart is for people. But do our prayers actually resonate with that? Um, this book uh, I was reading recently, um, it's called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. Um, it's a wonderful book. And uh, um, some of this um, sermon series is actually inspired by this book. And uh, he has these two stories about this heart for um, people that I was just like, oh man, I just, it like wrecked my soul. The first one um, was uh, the author Tyler. He talks about when he was in eighth grade. And, and part of this is because we have two eighth graders. But he was in eighth grade and he was the kind of kid who would question everything. And um, so he had, always, he had all these questions about Jesus and, and everything. And so his youth leader uh, at the time comes up to him. And he's like, here's what I want you to do, Tyler. I want you every day this summer to go to your school and just pray for your school and pray for um, the students that are in it. And so he goes and he gets this list of the entire school. And every single day during the summer, he just went there and prayed for every single name of his entire school. An eighth grader, right? 
school starts off in, in September and they don't have any kind of Bible study. And so um, Tyler, again, he's 14 years old, uh, decides I want to start a Bible study. So he starts this Bible study and he continues to pray. Um, and no one shows up in the beginning. Okay, no one shows up. But he keeps praying. And then little by little, um, kids from his grade started coming. And as they started coming, he's like, well, I better have something for them. So this eighth grader, he said he would open up the Bible and just like, be like, this sounds good. And so he would find a p- random passage, and he, and he, he said, tells the story in a very funny way, talking about how heretical he probably was. But he would find this random passage, decide, this is what I'm going to preach on, right? It's, this, it's eighth graders, going to preach to these other seventh and eighth graders. And, um, and, he, and here's what started to happen. Every day he would pray. And he would have this, this Bible study at 6.30 in the morning on Wednesdays. Um, by the end of the school year, that started with none, over a third of his class was coming to um, the Bible study and all committed their life to follow Jesus. And it started with a kid who took the list of his school and prayed for every kid by name. And he talks about it, he doesn't talk about it in a book, I heard him in an interview talking about it. And what happened to him as a teenager was that his heart for each kid that he prayed for, he would see them at school. And his heart changed. Because instead of just being like, I'm going to my next class, or I'm going, I'm, you know, I'm playing on this team, I'm doing whatever, it's like, no, I, I, I saw you and I prayed for you today. And it changed everything for him. D.L. Moody, another story that was in there, D.L. Moody, who was a famous uh, evangelist and spoke to thousands of people and... Um, had a huge impact in the church. Um, there's a story about D.L. Moody that he um, always carried 100 names in his pocket. Um, and they were always names of people that he wanted to see to come to know Jesus. There was the same um, names that he kept in for, for years. And, um, and, he, and he would pray and he would pray and pray. Um, by the time uh, he, uh, at his funeral, 96 of the 100 came to follow Jesus. The other four that didn't came to make the decision to follow Jesus at his funeral. And it's the story about how this commitment to wanting to see people know Jesus, to pray for the lost, to pray for those that that need to be found by Jesus and and find their life and their hope and their purpose in Jesus, to have that kind of commitment. He's like, every day he would just open up this piece of paper and pray for these hundred names. And I'm hearing these stories and I'm like, ah, oh, man, I don't do anything like that. Anything of, of that significance. I started thinking about my kids' school and, um, or even their high school um, that they'll go into next year. And I was like, man, I wonder, um, their principal actually comes here. But the, you know, I was, like, I was like, man, I wonder if we should get a printout and like, just pray for every student's name of the high school our kids will attend. And, and, and I wonder what would, what would happen. And I started thinking, I wonder what would happen um, if... Everyone started doing stuff like that. And like you, you just got, you went to your local school and like, can I just have a list of this, the first names? Because it might be weird if you want all of them. <laughs> like, they're like, who are you again? Um, but like, um, but I wonder if like, we just started praying like that. I wonder if students just went to their principals and were like, can I just have a list of, the, uh, of my fellow students' names and I just want to pray. I wonder, like, I wonder what would would happen. I wonder what would happen in the little Bible studies that would be started. I wonder what would happen. I wonder what would happen if at your um, office um, you go into, that you got a list of every person's name in your office and you prayed for them every single day. I wonder what would happen if you'd walk around on your lunch break and, and, and just, you're just doing a little prayer walk. You might not even know them or have even met some of these people, but I wonder what God would do. I wonder what kind of 
connection God would open up for us. I wonder, I wonder what would happen. Some of you are like, I hate my job and I hate the people I work with. I wonder what would happen to you and your heart. I wonder what would happen. I wonder what would happen if, man, we had this massive heart to pray for those that are lost, to pray for those that we want to see know Jesus. Now, you might be thinking on the front end, whoa, hold on a second, Wags. What do you mean I'm lost? How dare you, right? First of all, Jesus used that language, so I'm just repeating what he said. But let me say that the term lost, um, you know, well, first in John chapter 14, Jesus says that he's the way, the truth, and the life, right? So if you're not going the way of Jesus, the route of Jesus, or following the path of Jesus, then, then if you're not following that path, then, then if that's the truth, then guess what? Then you're lost. Like that's what we believe is following Jesus and as followers of Jesus. And that like when we, when we enter into this, this idea of following Jesus and wanting to follow what he taught, it's like, oh, this is where we find our purpose. This is where we find our hope. This is where we find the things we've been looking for, right? So if we're finding it in Jesus, guess what that means beforehand? We were what? Lost, good, good, right? The six of you. You were lost, right? You were lost. For some of you in this room, you know the truth of that statement. That you were living a life and you realize when you look back, you're like, man, I thought I was making the right decisions, but I was lost. And it wasn't until I discovered the hope of the reality and truth of who Jesus was that I was actually found I found out what truth was. I found out what hope was. I found out what my purpose was in life. Because before then, we were what? Good. We are lost. Here's the thing. Lost isn't a term um, that is uh, condescending. To be lost actually is a term of endearment. Because when you, how many of you guys have ever lost something that you really cared about? Man, when you found it, wasn't it so beautiful? So when Jesus says... Hey, there are people that are lost. What's he saying? You are so valuable. And he hates that you're lost. And he wants you to find the truth. He wants you to find the way. He wants to find. And then here's what he's saying. And then the people that follow me, then your hearts should be so passionate for those that are lost. Now, you don't go around to your family members or friends or you don't go around to, to people at work and being like, hey, I'm praying for you because you're lost. Right, that's not like a good tactic, right? But in your heart, here's what you know. When you really know the hope of Jesus, when you really know the purpose, when you really, f- you, you, you found what you have always been looking for, why would you not want everyone to discover that as well? Why would your heart not be oriented in such a way that like, man, I'm praying for those that do not know Jesus, because I'm saying that, and I know that, man, the greatest hope is found in him. The greatest purpose, that it finally connects the dots in my life. Why would our hearts and why would our prayers not be filled with praying for those to know Jesus? So that begs the question, how often do we do that? How often do we pray for those that don't know him? How often do we think about those that don't know him? How often do we order our days to make sure that, man, as I'm engaging my work day, as I'm engaging being, I'm a student, I'm at school, as I'm engaging, is, is my heart oriented 
towards thinking like, man, there are people who need to know Jesus that are around me and I want to pray for them today so that my heart is prepared to engage. It begins to change the way we think. It begins to change the way we interact with everyone around us. And let me tell you this. Um, Someone once prayed for you, whether you realize it or not. Some of you guys sitting here, how many of you guys were uh, annoying teenagers? Right? You teenagers can also raise your hands that are in here. Um, At one point, you were an annoying teenager who thought you knew everything and did everything that you wanted to do because you thought it was right, and your parents were probably praying for you that somehow God would break you (laughs) and make you realize what you needed to know. And it was a slow process for a lot of us. My mom's in the back and she spent a lot of time praying for this kid. And it was a slow process in a lot of ways. But man, it is a beautiful process once you see people you've been praying for come to a knowledge of Jesus. And you might have to keep praying for a long time, y'all. It might happen. But man, when that day comes and when, when they, they, they finally say, it's like, man, all those prayers and all that time, was it worth it? Yes. Someone prayed for you. Someone prayed that you would um, discover the reality and the truth of Jesus. Are you being that person for someone else now or not? Are you being that person who's praying for that someone who needs to know Jesus? Praying with like a desperation to be like, oh God, would they, would they somehow come to a realization of, of who you are? It's about our hearts. You see, when we look at scripture, the Bible is often, um, it gets us to, to this whole kind of thing of like lost and found and light and dark and life and death. And, and yeah, there's nuances to things in scriptures, but, but really it's like they're, they're like you're either being wise or being foolish, right? That's what we always see in scripture. And, um, and, and one of the things, uh, one of the stories that has stuck out to me recently is the story of Cain and Abel in um, Genesis chapter 4. We're going to look at a couple of different things today around this idea of, of those that are lost. But um, there's this story that that talks about the heart for people. And it, it's about the story of humanity. It's, it's in the beginning of, of the Bible. And we see it like right in the beginning that, that what God is saying is like, you, you should, as one of my people, as one of my created beings, like we need a deep heart for another person. Um, in Genesis chapter four, it says this. And the Lord said to Cain, so Cain, um, Adam and Eve, uh, how the story goes, goes is Adam and Eve have two kids, Cain and Abel. Eventually they have more, but... They have Cain and Abel, and it's, I want to get just a little glimpse of the story. There's a lot I'd love to say, but I just want you to see one thing. The Lord's talking with Cain. He's like, why are you so angry? Why is your face so downcast? If you do what is right, you will, not, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. So I want you to like process this. What God's saying to Cain is like, listen, if you're going to go your own way, and want to do your own thing, and only concentrate on yourself. Sin is literally crouching at your door, waiting to pounce on you. That's what he's saying. All right, so just waiting to pounce. So it's like, um, and again, we know this to inherently be true. How many of you guys have made a, some, a decision where you regretted it later? You did what was wrong, something, and what is it? Sin was waiting, and it was like, thank you, I've been waiting for you. And it pounces, and you feel the impact of it. It says, it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So he's like, man, there's a way for you to get by all this stuff. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. 
So you think like, oh man, Cain just has this like, conversation with God and so he's going to get it, right? Like, yeah, let's stay away from like, sin and I, I really have to have the right heart and do the right thing. He says, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacks his brother and kills him. The Lord then says to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, Cain replies, and this is the part right here. Am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes. And this is the part in the story of humanity, the connection of human to human. See, what sin does is it crouches at the door, waiting to pounce and waiting to separate us and divide us and to make you only think about yourself. That is sinful. Am I, my, am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Am I my sister's keeper? Yes. Why? Because my heart is for the other. My heart is for the people around me. And the deep burning desire is to be like, oh, my brother or sister, and not just my physical brother or sister, my, my friend that you look at, like, oh, that's my brother. Right? That's my sister. Like, we, we look at them and it's like, oh, we're all brothers and sisters here. It's like, no, my heart is for them. And it begins to reshape it. And so why then? Why then? Um, I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hands, but, but why don't our prayers consistently seek out um, the good and the love of another? Um, why are our hearts distant and our prayers distant to pray for those that might be lost? Here's the first thing. I'll do this. And um, we are lost. <laughs> maybe, maybe the reason that our prayers don't pray for the lost is because we are actually lost. Maybe it's possible, it's possible that your heart is not, and your prayers aren't like, have this deep consideration for those that are lost around you because maybe, in fact, you yourself might be lost in some way. We like to avoid that reality, and I understand it, but it can still be true. That maybe it's us. Maybe we are the problem. Um, there's a story in the Bible about this guy named uh, Jacob. Um, anyone's named Jacob in here? Just curious. All right. Um, there's a story about the guy named uh, Jacob, and Jacob's got this really interesting, um, he's, he's tied into the line of Abraham, um, he's the son of, of Isaac um, and Rebekah, and uh, what ends up happening is uh, there's a story about him and his brother Esau. Um, I don't know too many Esau's, but um, there's a story, about, a story of Jacob and Esau, and they're, they're like wrestling in, in the womb, like they're wrestling in the womb. And, and Jacob, um, it's interesting that um, even in the womb, he's just like someone who's just, it's strong-willed and is just always like wrestling for what he wants, okay? This is Jacob's story. Um, his, his mother um, is pretty manipulative, um, uh, and um, so he's a product of bad parenting, um, and there's, there's a lot of stories about, uh, about Jacob, which kind of led him to the place that, where he was constantly manipulating he was constantly trying to get his own way. He was constantly trying to produce his own fruitfulness. See, what ended up happening is at one point, God says, hey, there's a blessing for uh, Jacob and that, um, the, that the uh, older brother, Esau, will actually um, serve the younger brother, that the younger brother will be um, more powerful. 
What's interesting is now people always use this story as like, this is why everyone's at war all the time. It's like the Bible doesn't actually say that. People did that. Um, but what ends up happening is there's this blessing that is, is coming on Jacob. And so um, the mother's trying to manipulate everything to get the blessing. Jacob then becomes a manipulator himself. He wants to do his own thing. He has a heart only for himself. Only he wants to be blessed. And the reality is it's hard to be a blessing for others when we only want to be blessed, right? And so when our hearts and our, and our prayers are only designed towards God, would you bless me? And, and that's what our, our main focus is. And then it's really hard to be a blessing to others because we're only fixated on ourselves. That's the story of Jacob. Jacob at one point... Um, He's trying to, to get one of his wives and, and he goes in this long kind of battle with this guy named Laban and they just, they basically just keep deceiving one another and that's the story of, of Jacob's life is manipulation, deceiving, strong-willed, trying to do his own thing for his own blessing. That's the beginning of his story. Well, eventually what ends up happening is, is Jacob comes to this like interesting uh, realization and, and the truth is, is that his heart wasn't for anyone else but himself. And so uh, the way that you get your fruitfulness back then and the way that you kind of get your blessing was through having kids and having a large family. And so Jacob is starting to, he's got all these wives, he's having kids and everything, and he's still manipulating, he is still scheming. And then it comes on this one story, the Bible has some funny stories, but it comes up to this one story in Genesis 32. It says, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him all daybreak. So then this epic wrestling match, right? Um, if you've ever been in a wrestling match with a friend or like a, um, uh, I remember I was thinking about a wrestling match. I had a college roommate and to the point where um, like um, he had dug like bruises into my side with his fists and like, um, but I had popped blood vessels in his, in his eyes. We were wrestling for so long, right? Like, and, and we, but we tell that story as like a fun memory. And, um, but you can see what these epic like, like wrestling matches. And it says this, they wrestled till day, daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him because he's so strong-willed, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, and I'm gonna explain what that means in a second, so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so there's still this part of Jacob. It's like he's wrestling. He's struggling. He's, he's I mean, strong-willed. He's, he's strong. He's like, I'm not leaving till you bless me. Who's he still concerned with? Himself. The man asked him, what is your name? He says, Jacob, he answered. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and overcome. Now, he doesn't win against God. What he does is he comes to a realization of who God is in his struggle, in his, um, in his uh, uh, strong-willed nature. This is what happens. Now, um, that uh, idea of touching, uh, where it says he touched the side of Jacob's hip, the, the phrasing is actually, he was hit so hard in his crotch that his hip popped out. That's actually what happened, okay? So, this story of Jacob then, is fascinating because he was so lost and something needed to happen to him so that he could be found. See, Jacob's mindset actually begins to change after this. His life begins to change. How he approaches, how he approaches his brother Esau changes. Why? Because now all of a sudden, because God has done something, there's something that has been found in him. Was he perfect after this? No. 
but something he was now, he had found something in God and his heart began to, to change in a very different way. And so he began to move in a different direction. And as I was writing down some notes, here are some things that I was like contemplating. Maybe, maybe we are trying to create our own food for us. Maybe we're like Jacob and you're doing everything for yourself. You make a lot of money, you do whatever you want. Like, man, everything is succeeding and succeeding, but you're trying to make your own fruitfulness. Everything about your life is just about you. Or, or, or maybe, maybe you might even have, like, say, it's, it's like, well, it's about me and my friends. Or me and my, like, who's closest to me? Me and my family. It's like, but it's just about you. And you're making your own fruitfulness. Well, then, if that's the case, then you're lost. According to what it means to follow Jesus, according to what it means to be one of God's people, then there's a part of you that's lost. And so you're going to live your life for yourself. Maybe, maybe we're in need of a limp. I was going to put in there, maybe we need to get hit in the crotch. But maybe, and listen, do you think Jacob walking around with a limp for the rest of his life, do you think he was mad at God or thankful to God? He was thankful. And I know, listen, I get it. I get it. God, I don't want you to do something that's going to make me walk with a limp. But maybe that's what you need. Maybe you've been so strong-willed. Maybe you've been so, like, so concerned with, like, getting your own blessing that maybe God needs to hit you where it hurts. See, God hit him in the crotch because that's where his fruitfulness was produced out of. And maybe that's where you need to get hit so that you're not lost anymore. I know, we don't want to pray that way though, do we? And you might know where you're lost. Can you imagine, like, let's say you're fixated and you're like, man, I just... I'm all about work and I'm all about making money and you're like, all about making fruit. And it's like, can you imagine praying, God, would you hit me where it hurts with work so that I might be found again? Maybe you're believing in a false narrative. Maybe it's, um, maybe you had someone in your life or have someone in your life that is like, manipulative and is, is trying to convince you of certain things and, and that you're moving in a direction that isn't actually towards God. It's constantly moving you away from God. Well, how do I know? Well, you see it in your relationships. You see it in your friendships. You see it in who you are at work. You, you see it and you know it. And when you sit and you pray and you kind of be vulnerable with God, you're like, mm, this is who I am. And I see that, man, there's this false narrative that I'm believing in. Or maybe you're just playing the church game. Maybe you like the idea of the habit of church, but you don't like the idea of actually fully becoming devoted to following Jesus in the context. And so um, maybe you're playing the game and, and it's like, yeah, I mean, I still like dabble in this whole church thing. And maybe, maybe you've just been doing it for so long that it's become normative and you don't even realize that you're actually lost. It comes out in our prayers and it comes out in how we engage the people around us. Here's the second thing that we've lost the vision. So maybe either we're lost or maybe we've lost the vision. 
I remember being in, when I was in the corporate world, I remember being in, in D.C., which is like one of the worst cities ever to drive in, and um, for so many reasons. And um, I remember I got lost on my way to a meeting, and I stopped to pull over to ask a guy. I was like, hey, here's what I'm trying to get to. This was like pre-cell like cell phone stuff. Um, I was like, here, here's, here's where I'm trying to get to. And he looks at me, he goes, man, I get lost here all the time too. I was like, that's not helpful. Like, you like live here, you know? And so... Um, but I was thinking about how like when you're lost, but then you talk to someone else who's lost, it's not comforting, right? You're just kind of like, all right, we're lost. Like, what do we do? And it's like, you're constantly wandering. But I was like, man, the, this heart that Jesus had for those that were lost, like he wanted them to be found, right? That's part of the vision uh, of the church. It's like, why, um, if we didn't have a heart for people to come to know Jesus, um, we would have stayed at the first 21 people that wanted to plant Hill City Church. In, in September, or actually just before, September of 2014, when we were gathering around and we were painting this place and doing all these different things, it's like, we would have just prayed, God, thank you for the 21 of us. This is wonderful. Build your church with the 21 of us. No one else, right? But there is a heart to see people come to know uh, Jesus. Jesus actually was pretty serious about this. Look at Luke 19. He says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, look what he did. He wept over it. He says, even if you, even if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. How is it hidden? Because it's not found. It's lost. We live in a world that's always talking about anxiety and like the chaos and all this stuff. And it's like, man, Jesus looks over the city. It would be like us going up to Churchill and looking over um, Richmond and weeping because we're like, man, the thing that could bring this city peace is hidden from people's eyes because they choose to be lost. That's the heart to pray and to see and to, to look at pe people and see, man, and to do this, you have to be so humble, right? Because like you're like, man, this, this vision that God has for this city is unbelievable and I get to be a part of that. But it's humbling because it's like, well, maybe there's a piece of me that's a little lost in this because I don't feel that way all the time. And begin to discover that, man, there's always this battle of being lost and found, lost and found, lost and found. If you follow, have followed Jesus for any length of time, you'll feel yourself get a little lost sometimes, right? You do. You're just like, ah, man. I used to pray differently. I used to be a little different about this. And you never use that phrase, do you? You never use the phrase, but I'm a little lost right now. You use phrases like, mm, I'm just struggling. I'm just in like a, a different season. Rather than just being like, well, let's just admit that we're a little lost. Why? Because we need to be found. We need that piece of our heart to be found. Look, look at this. In Luke 15, people coming to know Jesus. And it says this, and same I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of angels of a, over one sinner who repents. And so it's to say when someone's lost and it's found, it isn't just like we clap like, yeah, like great story. It's like, no, 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 there's that. 
a spiritual realm, a heavenly connection that the angels rejoice. For those of you who have ever decided to follow Jesus, at some point when that decision was made and you were found, guess what? Your parents didn't just rejoice or your friends didn't just rejoice, your church didn't just rejoice. Literally, the heavens above rejoiced in the reality of you being found. So why wouldn't our hearts want the same for our city, for our schools, for our families, for our friends, for the places that we work? A couple of questions for you guys. Laura, you can come up. Would you rather someone show up because of your invitation or show up because they just happened to come? Like someone you know walks in and you're like, hey, I work with them. And they say, I didn't even know you went to church. I didn't even know you were a Christian. Are you still stoked they're here? Of course, right? But wouldn't it have been great if you had been the one to invite them? You had been the one to talk with them. You had been the one to share your faith. You had been the one that had impact and influence. Or how many people will experience the kingdom of God because of your love, generosity, and witness? Maybe we've lost the vision a little bit. Maybe there's a little piece of you that's lost. Maybe you're sitting here and being like, actually, I'm totally lost. But I want to be found and discover the reality and the truth of who um, Jesus is. You know, when we talk about core values of this church, we always talk about, you know, a safe place for people to explore their faith because we want you to be able to ask questions and engage. Um, And we talk about this idea of like a compassionate curiosity, that there is like this, man, I want to hear people's stories. I want to be along in the process. I want to be in a culture where it's like, man, We all want to be found together, grow together. We want to learn together. Um, Here's what I know about when you're found in Jesus, you become more secure in who you are and and why you're here. But there's also an element where you you become less certain. And here's what I mean by that. And this is why your curiosity should increase. Because God is always working in a zillion different ways. And we always think it's our own way, or he can only work this way. Like the way God works, like however many people are here today, it's like God worked in that many ways plus some to get you here. And it's constantly doing it. And our curiosity is always going to be piqued. How is God working? What is he doing? What is he tapping into? Those little areas that might be like a little lost, right? And need to be found. And so we stay curious about what God might want to do in us so that we don't fall into the traps that Jacob did, so we don't fall into this idea of losing the vision that God has. And so um, I want you to just bow your heads for a second, and I'm going to sing this one more song, but I just want you to sit with something here. I want you to sit with this one little question that might just produce a big answer. Why don't you just sit with and ask God, God, where am I a little lost?
God, as we are about to sing, um, the beauty of your message and the hope of your message is in these areas where we might just be a little bit lost, the hope is, is that your heart for us is to be found. And in you is where we find our purpose, and you is where we find our hope, and you is where we find our strength. In you is where we find where we're always meant, you always wanted us to be. No longer lost, but found in you. And so God, may our hearts, our minds, and our souls be connected with how you see us and how you see the people around us. So we can be a community of a bunch of lost people who have been found. Will you stand and sing this song with us?